Hey everyone, this is Spacetown and you're listening to What Happened to Chiptune. Today's episode features Danelle Gerardo, the music editor for the website Tiny Partridge and an event organizer for the Pulse Wave event series. I was very interested to get Danelle's perspective on the scene based off of his work with Pulse Wave, as that event series was one of the mainstays of the New York City chiptune scene and had regular events from 2006 before going on hiatus during the pandemic in 2020. Danelle is one of the Pulse Wave organizers who took up the mantle after Peter Swim's departure from New York City, and his work there, along with his writing for Tiny Cartridge, makes him a great source of knowledge for the New York City chiptune scene, and I was honored to have him on the podcast. Hello. Hello, Danelle. Uh, it's nice to <laughs> nice to see you and uh, and talk to you and, and all this stuff. Um, yeah, I, I'm, you know, really excited to have you on. Um, I, I've always kind of followed your work without being being a, like super super because you're not like a, a, is, a you know it's weird to call what i did work i guess but yeah yeah it, well <laughs> it is work i mean you know you're we're sure. gonna get into it but i i think at the end of this episode it will definitely be thought of as work i have no oeuvre but i have created i have created <laughs> I feel like I've had a part in creating a lot of experiences, and I'm very proud of those experiences. Um, but uh, yeah, it 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 just uh, conceptually to me it feels weird to talk about it as like a body of work so much as it is like I was a part of something, you know. So <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I think that that's, you know, and we're kind of, we are really like jumping right into it, but I do think that like one of the projects of this podcast is to kind of like expand the boundaries of what people consider like the work in chiptune, especially as we talk to a lot of like people who were doing both composition and, you know, event planning and, and like, you know, organizing and things like that you know, you run into a lot of issues where it's like, yeah, this, I can't do this by myself or like, this is just really difficult to do. So, um, so yeah, I, you know, that, that's why I wanted to have you on is because I, I wanted to get a, a sense of what it was like from someone who wasn't, you know, like contributing in terms of music, but was very much contributing in terms of like setting up a space for, for people to perform music and, and do all of that stuff. Um, so before we get more into it, I, I just kind of want to like introduce you as like, you know, you, I know you primarily as a, a, you know, as one of the organizers of Pulse Wave, which was the monthly, the, 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 um, famous monthly <laughs> in New York. And then, um, also, you, you know, I, I, I also took interest in your, your music writing as well, right? I, I think you had like a little... A little like blog for yourself about music writing but um what i know you the most for as far as your writing was um for tiny cartridge you were the basically the music editor for tiny as, cartridge as weird as that as the weird as that sounds yes that those basically yeah. uh yeah <laughs> um it's not that tiny cartridge didn't cover it um before me it's more that like um eventually Eric Kaoli from Tiny Cartridge uh, messaged me one time and was like, hey, I really like what you write about music on Twitter. Do you want to post to Tiny Cartridge? And he was just like, we're a really small blog. Like Tiny Cartridge makes basically maybe some advertising money ever. And that's really the only money that they've ever made. Uh, but this was something that I was really passionate about. And I was a big fan of Tiny Cartridge, so I was just like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I don't care. And, and I was like, what sort of posting cadence do you want? And he literally said, 
whenever you have the time, I would appreciate you posting something about chiptune stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> yeah, and, and for the audience, you know, Tiny Cartridge was this was this publication um, that, that was primarily, well, it started off as like primarily concerned with like more like smaller scale games and, and kind of like, uh, you know, handheld uh, games that were coming out, uh, out on... The DS. Um, yeah, I, I think the 3DS. Yeah, I will say is the yeah, DS, DS was the... Because it, it, it was, um, so it was on Tumblr. Uh, so Tiny Cartridge was a blog on Tumblr. It was also kind of on its own independently a blog. Uh, the two main people were, or continue to be, I believe, Eric Kaoli and JC Fletcher. Uh, JC notably worked for like um, some of the bigger block. I think he worked a joystick at some point in his career or something like that. Um, I, pro- I might be getting that wrong. It might be one of the other, like, there was like an era of blogs situation, um, that he worked for. Um, but, but yeah, so those, those were two people and it was just, it was really neat to be a part of that because I was very into Tumblr at the time. Tumblr is actually a little bit of how I dis- I used to discover like new chip music as well because it, uh, you would just follow the chiptune tag and back in the believe it or not back in the 2014 days Tumblr was actually like a good place for stuff I think it's coming back a little bit but it's just yeah it was just it was just really interesting to see that happen very organically so yeah back when um you know back when <laughs> things weren't as bad in terms Oof, of social yeah. media and, <laughs> and networks and things uh we're nope. not going to get into that yet uh maybe maybe later uh but yeah so i i wanted to kind of ask you about your your history with chiptune i i because you came into pulse wave uh, and came into like organizing it after it yeah. had started, right? You you weren't like one of the main founders of it, so I I, I want to get a sense of like what how how you got into the New York City scene and what the New York City scene was like as you were coming into it. Um, just to you know give us a little bit of a context for your work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Space. So, um, I in college I got to go to uh, the Penny Arcade Expo. Uh, and I don't remember, I think my first one was a 2008 year or something like that. And I got to see, um, just a couple, like, I would just like occasionally see some stuff. Um, I was already a regular on 8-Bit Collective. I was already like a person, I, I wouldn't post, I was just a lurker, but I loved all of that stuff. But, um, but I was, uh, I was already a regular on 8-Bit Collective. So all of that stuff was like, that was my bread and butter. I remember um, uh, I, I remember listening to so many My First LSDJs, like literally tracks called My First LSDJ. <laughs> um, I remember uh, having, following some of those folks off of Tiny, uh, off of uh, 8-Bit Collective onto like different platforms, like SoundCloud was burgeoning at the time as well, right? Like, and so that's kind of its own thing. Um, I remember uh, being a big fan of demo scene stuff, that was me actually in college. Was I never wrote any demos, but uh, my school um, was they hosted demo parties, and so I remember going to some of those demo parties, like because it was it would be, it would be like one demo party every two years or something like that. So I remember going to one, and I was just like, oh, that's really neat. And you would have people who just come from like all over midwestern pennsylvania basically and then just be like oh cool like we're all writing demos for like the amiga or like the commodore right like um and so 
yeah that was that was really neat i had this like really like really niche interest in like old computers and then uh, my final year of college um literally uh the day before my birthday uh there there was a show and it was the um onomonoguchi saber pulse starscream henry home suite tour that they did uh and the re the only reason they they got booked for my college was because they were coming back on their way from ohio and then through pittsburgh and i got to meet them all and then i hung out with them and then they were just like oh yeah are you going to pax later this year and i was like yes i look us up at pax and i was like oh cool and so then i went when i went to when I graduated and then I finally went to PAX that, that year, I like got to meet all of them. Um, but I was already pretty good. Like we, I, I would talk to a bunch of them, right? Like I think I was Tumblr friends with Luke at the time and stuff like that, right? And so, um, so, so that's kind of my like introduction into the world of, of Chiptune. And then I make the very good life decision of instead of moving out to the West Coast uh, to work in the tech industry, which is soul sucking on its own, <laughs> I moved yeah. it to the East Coast soul sucking tech industry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, but the the center of the East Coast tech industry uh, is New York City, right? So um, so I moved to New York uh, literally on my first night in New York. I go to a show at the Silent Barn. Um, which was uh, the original venue that was host to an uh, indie arcade called Baby Castles, which matters a lot for my own personal history of things. Um, and uh, yeah, and that was cool. That was that was a kick-ass show. That was, uh, I'm forgetting the lineup. There was some opener that I, I feel terrible for not remembering. Then there was a band called Fiasco, which includes, um, uh, that was fronted by Steve Buscemi's son, I think, wow. or something okay. like that. <laughs> oh, oh, it was Null Sleep. And then it was like Null Sleep and Starscream and then Anamanaguchi and Fiasco were opening. Wow. Right. And so, and so it was just one of those things where you're just like, what is this, what is this wild lineup? I didn't find out about Steve Buscemi's son being the front man until I saw Steve Buscemi in the crowd. And that was like really <laughs> weird. You know, you like, just, like you look at, you look at Steve, uh, you know, Fiasco. It's such Steve a, Buscemi. such a striking, yeah, <laughs> such a striking resemblance. Anyway. So, so I'm, I'm having a great time. It's uh, June, right? And so this is, uh, I'm just like, I'm just, I'm just vibing. I, uh, the Anamanaguchi set ends and I kind of exit. Um, the Silent Barn was notorious for being just the sweatiest venue. It was, it didn't matter whether it was summer. It didn't matter whether it was negative 20 degrees out, which is, by the way, a show that I did go to at the Silent Barn one time. It was actually on an Anamanaguchi show, but um, it didn't matter because it was so sweaty. So when you got out, anything felt cool, yeah, you know, yeah. like, and so, and so I got out and then, um, uh, Pete was like, Hey, you just moved here. Right. And I'm just like, yeah. And I was like, do, do you need a ride home? And it was like, I would love a ride home. Cause I have no <laughs> clue where I am. Uh, and so, so yeah, I think, I think they drove me home after dropping off like James and yeah. Ari and a bunch of other, and so it was just like, it was really cool. It was really cool to could be there. Uh, and then Luke was just like, are you going to pulse wave? And I'm just like, what's pulse wave? <laughs> um, and he's just like, oh, you're going to love it. And so he just tells me the address and it's the 45th street, uh, the tank, uh, venue. 
Uh, and I was like, oh yeah, this, this sounds cool. And I'm not doing anything. I literally just moved the city. I have no plans, you know? So, uh, so I went to that pulse wave, uh, and I was just, I was just hooked. Like I, I was there. I, um, that first pulse wave that I went to, I went on my own and then subsequent pulse waves, I kept trying to drag friends who were in town for like summer internships and stuff. I was like, you got to come to the show. It's so fucking cool. Right. Like it's, and I was just so excited about this thing. Um, the, the tank is a rather was, was a rather unique venue. I think it still exists. It's not at the same location, but it was a rather unique venue. And that was like, it was like a, a, like a little bit of a box theater, but closer to an actual theater. Uh, and it was in like on 45th street and eighth, which is not, easy artist real real estate basically right like so uh even back then right like it, uh, we we talk about a lot of gentrification in new york city but like even back then like hell's kitchen was already pretty gentrified and so it was just like oh okay cool so like what do we where do we put on the show it's like well there's these guys and they really just really like diy shows so that's gonna, that's where the tank is going to be and so um and i think and I, that's where i met jen as well so jen de la vega who is the person who uh helped continue on pulse wave uh and so i met peter swim and jen uh and a bunch of other people like uh, you're it's inevitable at a pulse wave that you meet um uh glow mag and bit shifter uh which is kind of like the really weird um you have like a really weird moment of like you're meeting you're meeting all these people and you're just like oh where do I know the name Glowman? <laughs> and then and you're just like, oh, oh, eight bit collective, oh, eight bit peoples, and then you're just like, where do I know the name Bit Shifter from? It's like, oh, eight bit peoples. It's just like uh, you just and like you just have have these things where you're like you're meeting these perfectly amazing but uh, really nice people, and then you realize that you've been listening to their music for like three or four years at this point, right? And you're just like, that's that's crazy that, that that's been happening I mean, like and I, at this point i didn't know anything about blip festival um i think i had seen one tiny cartridge post about blip festival not not at that point but like like somewhere close to that like tw 2009 i think i'd seen i'd seen it in passing but i didn't know like that's the thing that i wouldn't go to um i had heard so many stories about that legendary 2009 blip festival that happened in the winter um, because, uh, I remember people talking about, it's like, oh, I remember when we were at Blip Festival and we were like freezing our asses off. And I was just like, what, what is this festival that everyone wanted to like step out into the negative 10 degree weather just to go to see a bunch of musicians perform, you know? So, um, but yeah, so, so that's kind of how I got in, like in, in my first taste of Pulse Wave. Um, I think, uh, the thing that was weird about that is that that just started a chain of events of just me going to yeah. every chip tune <laughs> show that was happening for the next yeah, probably yeah. year straight, you know, like that, that's really, I mean, it sounds like a, it sounds like, uh, one of those things that they make fun of when it's like, you kind of step into New York and you're just like struck by the, by the awe and beauty of this music scene. And you're like being whisked around and, you know, it's like, it's, it's like an LA story. It's like La La Land, but instead of LA, it's, you know, New York and it's all video game <laughs> and chiptune stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, ex exactly. Like it was, it was, uh, it was to the point, and I think this is also the other pieces. Like I met um, Jessen uh, as well, who does who did IO, um, but uh, he also did a festival called Reboot, 
And at Reboot, I met uh, Alex Luna, who is IOID. Uh, and so then uh, I also met Zen Albatross. Uh, and so uh, IOID, Zen Albatross, and I want to say Jessen and I were, were just like, hey, do you guys want to do, do you just want to walk around Union Square Park and do like chiptune busking? And I was just like, that was like the next week after that happened. Yeah, you, you know, know? So uh, yeah, just, we, we've gone on yeah. for like quite some time. And the, yeah, you, what you're talking about has been in the span of like two weeks. Not, <laughs> yeah. Right. That's no, that's exactly the point, right? Like, and so that's. And that was the part. That was part of like why it was so exciting to me because I was just like, this must happen here all the time. And I wasn't wrong. I wasn't right, but I wasn't wrong either. You know, like so. Those kind of the things. Like, oh, okay, like, like Chipton is just kind of here. Uh, and then I spent like, ooh, I spent a lot of time soul searching about why Chiptune happens in New York. I think that that's like a thing that um, I think about a lot. I mean, to be fair, it's, it's something that I thought about a lot, like, <laughs> and you know, we're out, we're out there, you know, we're out here in San Diego and LA trying to be like, why, why do they get, why can they do so much stuff? Like why, <laughs> why is there so, why are there so many events happening there? Do you want, do you want to hear my fun theory about it? Yeah. Yeah. Let's get um, into it. <laughs> okay, cool. So, so the reason I think chiptune happens in New York more than, uh, like other places in the United States, and I want I want to preface this with this mostly a New York and in the United States comparison here. I don't have enough of a like be able to say about other countries and stuff like that. Um, but I have a feeling that there's a kinship with the Tokyo scene as well, and I'll get to that in a second. So yeah, so the reason I think that um, New York chiptune is as prolific as it was is because there's a lot of time to wait around on trains. Uh, and, uh, and I think that this is very unique in the United States because, um, uh, you don't have the public, public transit infrastructure in other places in the United States, right? Like you wish we all wish we did, you know, but at the same time, it's just one of those things where like so many people in the U S have to commute to work and to commute to work in everywhere but New York City, it usually means that you have to do a somewhat long drive to work, and that sucks. Whereas New Yorkers, and this is exemplified very, very well by um, Notes 12345 EP, um, which is a, a EP that he wrote entirely, originally the tracks were, were created by him writing the 12345 trains in New York. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like that was that was it. Like that was the whole thing. And it's the same thing with the Tokyo scene, where they're just like, I gotta commute in from outside of Tokyo into Tokyo for my job. What am I gonna do? Uh, compose music on a Game Boy. And so like the Game Boy gives you that like really interesting ability to do that very unique thing. Whereas the um, uh, and this is part of the problem in the United States, the artistic pursuit of music is hard to do on your free time when you also have to do work. But when it, when in your New York and you're integrating your artistic pursuit as a distraction of your commute as a part of your commute, then it becomes much easier for people to do. And that's why the New York chip scene always had like an open mic and you would always have people just like hey, this is a brand new track that I wrote yeah. on my way to work. <laughs> yeah. You know, like like literally some people would be like, "Hey, um 
I'm from New Jersey, and I wrote this on the PATH train, and then they blast the like coolest fucking thing that you've ever yeah. heard. You know, no, so. I mean that makes a lot of sense to me. And and honestly, I think just infrastructurally, right? Even like venues wise, even just like being able to like get from one part of New York to the other, like that that feels correct to me, right? Because it's like. I think of the way that it works in San Diego, even right. San Diego isn't as big as LA, but like there's, it's divided into a bunch of different neighborhoods, which are separated by freeways. So you're like, oh, like we're ha- gonna have a show in like North Park or on El Cajon somewhere, right? And then to get downtown from there, you have to get on the 163, go downtown, right? And then if you want to get out of downtown, you got to take you know, the five out or the eight out. So it's like all of these different freeways. And then LA is that, but like so much worse, <laughs> right? Like, because, and, and so it's not, it's not that we didn't have our own scenes, but I think just like the number of people and like how prolific it was in the New York scene. I, I feel like that, that definitely like feels correct to me. Yeah. It could, it contributes. Like it is, it is an environment that contributes to people wanting to work on something creatively while they're on their way to work right like whereas uh, it is hard for you as a person who is a responsible yeah. driver to yeah. <laughs> to drive and also lsdj compose in the middle of driving right? i think like, our equivalent would be you have worked on the track and you're just testing it in your car or something like that yeah, right yeah, but yeah, yeah it is it's the yeah and then when you get home it's like you don't really like you can do creative stuff but then you know you're you're dealing with all of the other things that you have to do. I was going to say, you're dealing with all the things that you need to do at, at home, home, right? Because so you like, spent, this, like, is, this is part about... After day working, so, yeah. Yeah, and this is part about, like, con- like uh, the separation of the artistic pursuit of music here is that, like, you need to focus on making music and that becomes one of your hobbies. Whereas I think that with New York, we had a lot of professionals who were accidentally musicians and and that was the part. So like This is, like... Um, this is exemplified by a lot of people that I knew, but more so like um, uh, Adam Gets Awesome, uh, one of my absolute favorites of the New York scene. Uh, Adam Gets Awesome, I would hear him nonstop complain about his job. But at the same time, he he was he was a very dedicated person to the things that he did. And at the same time, like he was also just making such cool music. And I was like, how do you fit it all in? And it's like, what, I don't know. I just go to shows and I go to I go to my job and that's and it's just like oh it's like oh that's that's really he would hate that I talked about him going to his job because I think it, he generally just hates his job anyway. <laughs> like capitalism is a yoke on yeah, all of us, yeah. but I think specifically he is just like he doesn't like to talk about it. But I do think that he fit that sort of weird moment of like being a working professional who also had such an impressive creative output. Um, so yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I mean that, that, that feels right to me. So I'm, I'm glad we were able to get into it and we're kind of like aligned on that. Cause that's what I thought when I was all the way out here in SoCal. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I kind of want to get to, so I'm, I'm curious how you got involved with Pulse Wave because you, I mean, you have been, you know, where, where we are at right now, you're going to like all of these shows and you're kind of being whisked around by like other people telling you to go to all of these things. And, you know, you've, you've broken the never, never follow someone to a third place rule like multiple times at this point. Ooh, more than a couple <laughs> times, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> and so I, 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 I think one of the things that was so interesting 
interesting about chiptune was that it was very very easy for you to like people just to get involved like even just accidentally right it, there there was so much stuff and you know everyone i feel like needed a lot of help just because you know it's a very niche music scene and like you know you everyone just needs places to play and thing you know help with like hardware and gear and all that stuff right um so i'm curious about like your specific entry into you know organizing and helping out with pulse wave um yeah so there was uh i don't remember what year it was specifically that peter swim who was original pulse wave founder um said i'm i'm moving out of new york city um, but there was a moment when that happened, uh, and then I remember uh, Jen de la Vega um, standing up at the end of a pulse wave one time, and, me, and I'm basically asking for volunteers, right? And so I think she had asked privately for a couple people, but I don't think that like they kind of felt that they could do all of it to, like by themselves, and so it was more of a like, hey, if you're interested in helping us with this thing, please... Uh, reach out and like we'll 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 try to get you set up. And I was like, you know what? Like, I'm spending enough of my time personally doing this that I would also like to spend my time making this happen. Uh, and so that's kind of that's honestly that's that's that's, that's the whole it. story. I volunteered. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's and it's it was really it was really weird. Um, I. Uh, I think my original volunteering was for a lot of logistical stuff, but not a lot of like day of stuff. I would always do door. Um, I think that that was, that was a thing that I like was very, um, uh, the reason I liked doing door, uh, had a lot to do with, I just really like talking to people. And so it was just one of those like, Hey, like, how's it going? And it's like, people will recognize you from the door and stuff like that. Um, so that was cool. But uh, more so, I ended up also uh, contributing, like, uh, basically, I was the treasury for Pulse Wave. Uh, and so for for a time, part of my professional goals uh, were to make enough money to set aside some extra money every month to have some money in the Pulse Wave bank so that we could bring artists in from other places, right? Yeah, I mean that it's it's funny how simple it is for, for yeah, for, and and you know it, it's as someone who isn't like both a musician and trying to contribute to the scene. I, I feel like there's a lot of like confusion and and you know the the first episode's out now right and we we talk about um i you know i talked with kevy whiz wars about the la scene and one of the things that was always like so compelling to us but ended up like not working out was this collective called obsolete that we had in la and it was a bunch of musicians getting together being like there are enough of us here that we could probably make some sort of like monthly event happen right but I think like one of the main reasons it fell apart was like once we lost our main venue, which was just, with just Wet Mango's house, basically, uh, like warehouse, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, we lost that venue and then everyone kind of like couldn't really figure out how they wanted to contribute outside of just like playing music or like making music and stuff like that. And see, this is, I think, one of those really interesting differences of the West Coast scene and the East Coast scene is that at least in New York, so what I would what I would call like your organization structure was more of a the artist collective that wanted to make something happen in order to express art, right? What I would call 
closer to what the New York City was calling it. I'm calling it the Muppets Theater model of uh, of organizing a show because the thing that must happen is that the show must go on, right? And I think that that was the very weird thinking about it in terms of Muppets is that like somebody was always making sure that the show would continue and if the theater would close, we'd have to either raise money to open a new theater or we'd have to find a new theater, right? Like, And so the persistence of the show for us was the important piece. Whereas with the artist collective, I think that you have the thing of just like losing a structural piece of that means that it tends to fall apart a little bit, you know, like um, for, but for us, it was just like, how does the show go on? And I think that that was just, it's really interesting to, I, I listened to that first episode, it was very good, um, but it's really interesting to think about the differences in which like the mentalities of how we were organizing shows were different enough that the persistence of something was based on the mentality of it and not necessarily like the economics of the, the economics play a huge part obviously but like the persistence is is more like how do we yeah, keep this happening yeah. we've got this cool energy you know yeah. <laughs> and you know like as as you know people will find out in the next episode it, it it like the only like the way we got more consistency was that you know kevy and a bunch of the people kind of remnants of obsolete and and you know after this festival were like yeah we need to figure out how to make this a consistent thing and so they kind of formed 8-bit la and you know did a bunch of work in the la scene and that's kind of like where the consistency came from so yeah it was it, it's a kind of interesting contrast and you know it's fun it, it's funny to yeah hear how just like how easy it was for you to like yeah yeah i'm just gonna do this stuff i don't have any like weird hang-ups about like am i contributing as a musician am i contributing as like a logistics person no it was just yeah you just go and do the thing that needs to be done which is everybody needs everybody needs a showrunner like every show needs a showrunner and that's just kind of what happens right like in our case there were four of us right and i think that that's the that's the part where um it the the group of people changed from time to time you know like um it all all sorts of like just just all sorts of um life changes and life needs you know some people went to school some people were like uh had more work demands of them and stuff like that and so it, it all kind of changed from bits of it but like it, essentially like the the sort of like heart of the show had to keep going forward and i think that, that was that was really the motivating yeah piece there, so. i mean what was like do, I'm, I'm curious about like what what you enjoyed about you know, organizing pulse wave, right? Like having, having this like thing that is like going on every or attempting to go on every month and, and like, you know, being such, I, I, I feel like people always get weirded out when I call them this, but having it be such like a pillar of the local community there. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, um, it, it is, it, it is still, it is still weird to hear that. Um, <laughs> okay, but, I'm going to keep telling uh, people that then. This is a weird people. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Um, so I think for me, uh, it was about helping people experience the very unique energy of the DIY scene. I think that that's really, that's really what it was. It was a show. Um, uh, how do I say that? Like I've always, uh, even professionally, even to this day, 
my motivations for the things that I do are because I think that art is undervalued as a whole and that I think that artists need to be paid as like a, 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 an, like a better basically. Right. And so, uh, I worked for a software company that did that. I briefly took a break from doing that and made me miserable. I went back to working for a different software company that helped me do that. But in like my personal life, I was like, how do I get these very talented artists paid for the, for the putting on a show, you know? And so I think that that's, I think that's what I was trying to do personally, but I was also trying to like help people experience that like DIY ethos of like, you too can put on the show with nothing but scraps from your basement and a big box theater and that's or like a small box uh, theater in New York City yeah. or something like that. You can put on your show in the back of a bar that has uh this is literally a show that happens <laughs> it's like in the in the in the back of a bar uh, that has a single amp and is actually a themed saloon, you know, like and so and and people were just like, what? where where did this show come from and it's just it's just you're just like uh sheer the sheer will and persistence of people is what it came from but you also have moments where you're just like a game boy can do that you know like and i think that that's the part that's so magical about it because you're just like i we, we i i'm of the gen i'm 35 i'm of the generation where i have such fond memories of playing games on the game boy that when I found out that people were still using Game Boys, but far more creatively than what I considered just the games pieces of it, that blew my mind, and I just wanted everyone to see. It. I'm just like, you gotta, you gotta check it. This man is controlling four Game Boys, and that that was first of all one of my favorite sets of of all time uh, is a Chill Brave set uh, for Pulse Wave, and Chill Brave uh, is uh, Tate and Noah. Um, and, um, they showed up and we were just like, Hey, like, what do you, what do you need? What's going on? And they're just like, Oh yeah. Like we have this four Game Boy set up. And I was like, first of all, I, it's two people. So two people times two Game Boys that kind of makes sense, but like they're playing the same, like it's, it's one performer technically. Right. And we're just like, what's going on? Like, why do you need four Game Boys? And they all point us like, well, that's this, that's doing this thing, and that's doing this thing, and that's doing this thing. And that one, and I was just like, what's that one doing? It's like, that's the kick. And I'm just like, the whole Game Boy is dedicated entirely <laughs> to the kick. And he's just like, yeah, we went, we did some stuff, and that's the kick, you know. And just like, and and then I had to show everybody. I had to be like, you got to see what these what these kids, like literal kids, they were in college, right? You got to see what these kids are doing. With Game Boys, and nobody would believe me. Obviously, they'd be like, "There's no way." Like, I'll just go see a DJ night. It's like, no, you're you <laughs> kick, kick you out the fucking door. You're wasting your fucking time. You got to see what these kids are doing with Game Boys. And when and when people would come, they would be like, "Actually, you're right. That ruled. That was so cool." And so over and over again, I kept getting re like um like vindicated of like that conviction of like, "Hey, like, y you you have to see what's going on." And I think I, I think I talked about this at some point, maybe a little bit more publicly, but I still maintain this firm belief that um, most musicians in the chiptune scene for a time were on par, if not better, than most EDM producers who blew up later, you know, like, and I, th and I think that that's the part that, like, people undervalue themselves as artists, too, and they think, like, oh, like, 
I could never go do that thing. It's like, no, you just don't have the experience. Like, you don't have the, like, you can play a 5,000 person show, not because you, you're not good enough. It's because you don't think you're good enough. Right. And I think that that's like the other piece of it that I was, I was trying to instill that confidence in some people. Um, all very hard things yeah. to do, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, there, there are a couple of things, right? There, one, I, I think that this idea of like, I think it's actually kind of curious and, and, you know, it's, it's interesting to me that you said the, the DIY, like you want to bring people the vibes of the, the DIY scene, right. And not like the chiptune scene, which is interesting. And, and I think it's like, I think it speaks a lot to your approach uh, around like creativity, creative practice, artists and stuff where like, I, I think that that's, that that's ultimately what, what made chiptune so compelling is this idea of like oh you can go to a show and it can be like yours in a very interesting and specific way right and it can be yours in a way that like you know you you can never you you can never ha like have a piece of the show by like going to ticketmaster or like doing something through golden voice and like you are literally just like you know cattle for the for those big companies to make money off of and it's this like prepackaged thing and the artists are they can't even see you like they're so far away from you in the stage and so you know and, and all of this stuff right and so that was always so interesting to me about chiptune just as a whole was this like sense of like everyone could have like a tiny little piece of it that was like just for them and something that they could hold on to and, and like have have it for themselves and then kind of coinciding with that m moving back into the chiptune part of it I think something that's so so interesting about the way that like nerd cultures and you know video game culture develops is like when you first get into video games there's this kind of like interiority that everyone has when it comes to like everyone knows the image of like s sitting alone in a corner by with a game boy just like you know at night like with the with the you know with the the light in your face and it's something uh, or with the, with the, with the, the game, game boy yeah light. the game boy light or like finding the, yeah. the one light that like didn't bother everyone you know right. everyone yeah, has exactly. those images it's like <laughs> Everyone has that, but, like, the experience of, like, you with the the game is so, like, personal and so you. And then when you take this, like, sense and you take this, like, experience and suddenly it's, like, out there, right? And people can hear that. I don't think it's, like, any... I don't think it's a mistake or a coincidence that people get really, really into being able to like experience that with other people right and it's yeah. a fandom kind of thing but like fandom in a very like specific and like very interesting way where it's like you're not a fan of like the game boy right <laughs> you're a fan of like the experience of hearing game boy things with other people really loud that you know with something that it wasn't intended for oh man you've just opened up so many cans of worms of discourse that i could yeah i'm through. sorry <laughs> do you have like six no, more hours totally <laughs> yeah no i have to i have to four technically <laughs> but um so uh there's a couple of things here um uh the chip tunes versus chip music uh thing was always like a really interesting thing like i think that the when i got into it there was this genre discussion of what is chiptune you know like what is chiptune part of the sound or is chiptune a methodology i'm not gonna reopen <laughs> that i i don't think i i actually have my personal 
feelings here are that uh, you have an excellent instrument that, much like any other instrument, can go very well with many other instruments. And I think that that's the part that I think some people do themselves a disservice to, is to not consider it um, more than just an instrument. And they think like, oh, like this is just the one thing that we do. Whereas people, you always forget, like the voice is an instrument, a guitar is an instrument, right? Like all of these things in concert together can be so beautiful. And so I, I was going, I, I, there was a whole phase of Pulse Wave where I insisted that we had just at least someone who wasn't doing just Game Boys. I wouldn't always succeed. Uh, and it was it was more important that we had a diverse representation on our on our chiptune shows than it was for us to have just like a person who did more than just a Game Boy. But I would try to sneak it in there every time. Like it was part of my consideration. Or I was just like, hey, like how do we get a band? You know, like how do we get it? Like it was really it was really cool. Um, and so there's that piece of it. I think also the other part that you touched on is um, this reckoning of is chiptune good because of the nostalgia of it or is it good independently of it and i've i've gone back and forth so much of it i i cannot speak objectively here because i'm so into the nostalgia of it but at the same time like i know that when i when i've had like friends who are not they're not gamers they're of a different generation and I have them listen to chip music stuff before I even tell them it's chip music stuff. They go, hey, this slaps. You know, like, and you're just like, oh, cool. Like, what is, and they're just like, what techno artist? And it's just, I'm like, that's Space Down Savior. And they're just like, oh, that's, that's, this is really cool. Do they have more stuff? And it's like, yeah, I mean, some stuff was taken off of Bandcamp and stuff like that. <laughs> but like, it's, I, I'll send you all the stuff, right? You know, like, and, they, and they're just like, oh, cool, yeah, I'd like to see them live, you know? Like, and you have this, like, they, they have this really weird moment of just, like, how do you understand that well, the things that people make are not entirely connected to the nostalgia? There's a crowd, sure, for absolutely, of gamers who are very nostalgic for the original 8-bit sound. But there is a whole different group of people who have no fucking clue any of that is happening, right? And they just want to listen to good music, and then that's the music that they come across, and they're just like, "This, this rules. Where, where can I get more of it?" You know, yeah. like I'm, um, I, that was so, yeah. one of the things that was so. I think the San Diego scene at the time had a lot of like flaws, right? And a lot of it was just like so much of the electronic music scene was concentrated in one area of San Diego, San Diego called the Gas Lamp, which was where all the clubs were, right? And so it's just like if you're a DJ or a producer, you go to the Gas Lamp, you you know you play all the clubs. But one of the the coolest parts about playing in San Diego was that when you did have like you you went out with your Game Boys and you played things, like you would always every single time, no matter how few people were in the crowd, there would always be this one person that just comes up to you after the after your set and is like, "What happened? Like, what is this? You know?" And and would take a genuine interest in the thing that you were doing. And I think that like something that was always cool about San Diego was that it wasn't super pretentious, right? There, there wasn't any kind of like pretense around the music that was happening. It was just like, oh, I've just, 
I'm, I was just here and then something interesting happened. And instead of being like, I got to file it away in like my mental file cabinet of what music is, it's just like, I'm going to go engage the person that was doing it. And then you can have a real conversation and just be like, yeah, this is this music called chiptune or chip music. And yeah, this is what we do. And that, that was always like the coolest part about the, the San Diego scene at and, the time. So, And once again, like the thing that you're describing isn't, isn't the isn't unique to chiptune uh i think it's i think chiptune makes it very approachable i think the thing that you're describing is the diy Mm -hmm, music exactly right like i think that and i think the the thing that chiptune adds to that diy music scene is like all i need is a game boy i don't need a a 200 guitar i don't need a thousand dollar synthesizer i just need a a game boy that i bought off of ebay you know like that's all i need to get started and so i think that that's the lower barrier to entry for that thing and then just pe- people being like that how do i learn how to do this and then people i think uh chiptune also as a whole would be very good about doing workshops on um, teaching people how to how to do stuff not everyone had access to this thing but in new york i think that happened more than a couple times where it was just like hey we're having a show but we're having like an hour workshop beforehand by one of the performers who you're going to see at the mm-hmm. show that night you yeah. know like and that was really neat you mm-hmm. know like well I, and you know I want to, we'll get back on track soon. But one of the interesting things about like the way that synthesizer culture just like as a whole has like, because synthesizers have become this like big thing over the last couple of years. But something that I've always like wanted out of the scene is that is more of that kind of integration of like having the workshop and the show like in the same thing in the same conversation, almost as the same event. Like there's one place like up in San Francisco, I think that's doing something like that. But for the most part, there still seems to be this weird like delineation of like, this is performance and this is creativity. And then this is learning how to be, to to do all of this stuff, right? Um, It's kind of exemplified with like synth YouTube and stuff like that, where it's like, that seems to be the only place that you like, people are willing to like open themselves up to learning. And the people who are teaching are willing to open themselves up to like teaching people. Right. And it's not this like integrated thing with the events that you're going to and, and kind of like learning via like osmosis just by like going to the show and being like, Oh, what are they doing? Right. Like, what are they looking at? Right. Um, so it's something that I want to see more of like at, in, in the broader community, but it's a little bit like, yeah, I, I, that's what I was always like really impressed by with chiptune is just like the, the ability, like the openness that everyone had to be like, this is what I'm doing. This is, you know, you can do it too. It's not like, it's not this like big over the top thing. Yeah. I think with, I think with synthesizers, uh, what I've observed from the outside is that the, the price point doesn't help, you know, like I think most synthesizers are just not well, are not priced for the average person to pick up, right. It's for a person of means to pick up usually. Um, but second of all, um, the, the lack of portability uh, makes it this thing. It's like, I have my synthesizer set up at home. It's like, oh, can you bring it to a show? It's just like, are you crazy? <laughs> no. And like, I, it's like, I, no, I, I, I literally cannot. It's like, it's like four server racks <laughs> full of stuff. Yeah. Like, how would I even bring that? Do you have a truck? And it's just like, yeah. So, so yeah, it's just, it's just, but that's me observing from the outside. And I don't know that's the actual, I know that there's far more compact synthesizer setups as well. I just, it's just, 
it's just weird, you know. Like, I think that you, you just get you just get to this point where you're just like, oh, okay, like that's that's. Um. So yeah, let, let's kind of move on to like I, I think what what I'm curious also about with Pulse Wave specifically is just like like some of the the challenges that you you guys went through in terms of just like organizing shows. I'm sure there were a ton, right? Because everyone has challenges organizing shows. But like, what what about Pulse Wave specifically? Um, got to be. Um, challenging for for all of you. Yeah, um, uh, around the time that we were uh, that I joined the crew um, was similar to the time when a lot of places were trying to figure out how to responsibly not just put up a code of conduct but also enforce a code of conduct. Um, so that was its own like interesting moment in time where it was just like, okay, cool, like what is this? What does it mean for a show to have a code of conduct when a venue does not have a code of conduct, right? Like, and I think that that's kind of its own, because we didn't have frequently. Pulsewave did not have its choice of venue, and that's its own challenge, our own. But like, like many of those venues wouldn't even care. They'd just be like, if they're paying customers, they're in, and we're just like, no, we'll give them their money back and kick them the fuck out, you know. So I think that that's kind of the piece. Did we have to do that a lot? No, but did we have to do it? Yeah, that, that happened. So. So that was part of it. Um, the venue situation was ever changing. So like just in just in my time at Pulsewave, we hosted at I want to say eight different locations. Wow, you know, yeah. like um, and so that was that was just like um, <laughs> I, I have I have a couple of stories there, but the uh, the it was the Forty Fifth Street Tank. Uh, their rent went up. And so as a result, the tank, which was a theater group, it wasn't the actual name of the space, right? Um, it was a theater group. And they said, well, we have to move on. We can't pay this rent. So that was its own thing. Then we went to uh, Pulsewave specifically. Um, someone knew somebody who ran a photo gallery slash yoga studio in, um, uh, in Brooklyn. And so we would go to there and we put on shows there. And so we did that. Um, we ran into a number of issues, including uh, noise complaints from neighbors and stuff like that. Um, because again, we're, we're trying to put on a somewhat noisy show in a residential area of Brooklyn. Yeah. You know? And so that's kind of like, eh, yeah. I, I don't, I, I don't fault it, but like, where else are we going to put on the show lady? You know, like, uh, and I get that you need to work an early shift at the hospital or whatever. I understand, you know, but like, I, I also, I, I'm, if I tell you we're done by midnight, sound off by midnight, we're taking that really seriously. Um, but no, the, we still, I still, still had to talk to the cops a couple times and we were just like, Hey, like we're, we're done by midnight. Like, and, and that I, I was, um, uh, part of using your privilege for good is that I'm, uh, despite growing up in Latin America, I look very white, and so I could talk to the police in New York City, and they wouldn't harass me for shit, right? So it's kind of um, that piece of it. Um, uh, yeah, uh, th we had a number of things, like funding was always a thing, like despite me uh, like injecting additional funds, like there were always people who I wish we could, we could book, but we just couldn't afford to book. Um, and the number of times that we did like the scrappiest thing to just get those people to us like there was um there were a couple of times when we had people like bus in from the midwest and that's not a that's not an easy no, bus ride. That's, that's a, a long 14 bus hour ride, yeah. bus ride right like easily uh, and so 
yeah, so that was that was always a challenge. Um, there was a couple times when we wanted to do like a big anniversary show or a big Halloween show, which was a show that we took very seriously. Um, then that was its own challenge of like, okay, like how do we get those people here? Uh, I've, I played for a couple plane tickets in my time of like organizing Pulse Wave and I'd be like, hey, like act the actual show, I can pay you a cut of the door, but I, I, w- I would never tell people I was paying for the plane tickets. I would just use my miles from something or other, or I'd try to use like some some amount of discretionary amounts of funds that I would put up. So so funny, funding was always a really interesting one. Um, and then uh, the other piece of it, uh, I think was just, uh, every once in a while you would just have artists whose like life got up, upended and they couldn't make it even though you'd book them for next month's Pulse show, Pulse Wave show and stuff like that. So I think that, you know, you try to, <laughs> one of the luxuries of New York City having so many chiptune musicians is that when that would happen, we could uh, rely on some of our friends and be like, hey, can you play this show? Because this person can't make it anymore. And that's, it's we'd really love for them to, but they just can't make it, right? So, um, so yeah, uh, I, I, as a memory of that, I have um, uh, a poster on my wall here. Uh, you, this is not going to be good podcast, um, but as I have a poster on my wall. And so that poster is um, a poster for a pulse wave that happened before my time, but it was um, the, the, basically the show was, uh facundo castro who is um i think just facundo on like chiptune stuff um he uh was getting deported and so um there was a whole lot of uh fundraising that happened to cover his legal fees and so we basically dedicated a pulse wave show to fundraising for his legal fees uh and a bunch of people volunteered to play it including Bitshifter, uh la belle indifference and uh, albino ghost monkey and uh, invader baka uh, and so this this is a great this is a great lineup all things considered this is a fantastic lineup um, uh, albino ghost monkey tragically doesn't show up for this like we kept trying to message them and just doesn't show up you know and so at the at the last minute i think we asked i want to say I, well not me but like at the last minute pulse asked like uh, adam gets awesome and then adam gets awesome just like was there and was able to play i, th- I think that's the right person that we asked I, it might have been someone else but it was just like a really interesting thing of like hey like sometimes sometimes performers can't make it and then in new in new york particularly it's just like well somebody's always hungry to to do this right and so um uh whether it was a surprise set by Bitshifter, which uh, would rarely happen because it's really hard to convince josh to do a surprise set generally uh the man i love him but he needs his amount of preparation that's just part of his process um but uh but uh whether it was a surprise set by someone that you knew or someone brand new or someone coming by town like i think that was also like an interesting uh, challenge and a blessing of both of those things, right? Because you would get people who, um, specifically in pulse wave terms, like it. Uh, part of the New York City pieces of it here is that New York is so. Uh, I don't. I want to say this without sounding like an asshole. New York is the greatest city in the world, uh, but the but the 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 funny things about that is that people want to go to New York. Like New York is a destination that people go to or go through, right? And I think that um, that was so lucky for us as show organizers because 
we would just have the opportunity to say, hey, you're coming through New York. Do you want to play a Pulse Wave? And then and people would be like coming from, uh, I'm trying to think of like all the places people come from, like people coming from Spain, people coming from the UK, people coming all the way from Australia, people coming from Tokyo, you know, like, and people would just be like, oh yeah, I'm going to be in New York for business. And it's like, how about the business of putting on a fantastic <laughs> show? You know, like, um, so, so that's kind of how we got around some of our like funding stuff, where it would just be like, it's it just so happens that you're going to be in New York. Do you want to also maybe play a whole? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Uh, so yeah. No, I mean, yeah, you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do. I mean, it, and and yeah, I, I think. That is like yeah one of those one of those unique things about New York that I I know that we did a little bit of that on the West Coast like you know in LA and in San Francisco but yeah it was definitely like not as prevalent right to just like hey I'm passing through like do you you know do you want to play that that stuff and and yeah it's I think San Francisco had maybe the most that I witnessed mm-hmm. of it personally because like the game developers mm-hmm. GDC, GDC the game developers conference thing. would yeah. always be there and like many. Many chiptune people, if they wanted to do music professionally, um, would be making music for games, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, so that kind of benefited that. There was also a number of people who were just professionals who also yeah, just like yeah. lived in San Francisco and also did chiptune. Yeah, and like, then you know, there the, was the know. the hard work of of Eight Bit SF and and having their their POW show every year. I think right. really helps that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, I, I got to get back to Morgan about talking to him for this. <laughs> so we will, uh, yeah, we'll you know, stay tuned, I guess, for that. Um, so how long did um, how long did Pulse Wave go for? Right, like, were were do you consider Pulse Wave still like an active thing or? No, yeah, sadly no. Uh, no, the the uh, the pandemic really put the nail in the coffin for for Pulse Wave. Um, it. They're, um, uh, the city most, uh, ravaged by COVID-19 in the United States being New York City. Like, when you think about the fact that one in 300 people died in New York during that time, right? Like, it was something that people were taking very seriously, but as a result, like, uh, venues changed, like, DIY scenes obliterated, you know? Like, we're only starting to see maybe the resurgence of some of those things, but, it's not very common. And so um, uh, before that, um, there was just the really difficult piece of like, uh, everyone who was trying to put on Pulse Wave also had a whole lot of life happen to them, right? Like um, I was laid off from jobs and I was trying to scramble to figure that out. And so I didn't have a whole lot of energy to like dedicate to more Pulse Wave time. And then I think like uh, a couple other of the organizers were just like, hey, like, I'm, I'm too busy to do this right now kind of a situation or, like, my life is in too much of chaos that I can help contribute positively to this thing, right? So um, so that that happened, and I think that um, it's, it's through no fault of one person so much as it was just, like, a lot of stuff happened all at once, and then the environment changed in a way where it just didn't seem possible yeah. again. So, okay. I mean, yeah. and, and this, you know, we're, we can kind of get to like the, the title question of this podcast with this, but I'm curious if like you have a sense of like how much of Pulse Wave, Pulse Wave's like, uh, Pulse Wave's trajectory was reflective of like 
things in the broader scene in in like the more uh you know the u.s wide scene and kind of like the the global scene they i mean they both feed into each other right like the fact that like people were moving on a little bit were was trying to like figure out what to best do i think had part of it um i don't uh to reopen the discourse can of worms a little bit here is like the the people who are having the arguments online about fake bit versus not fake bit we're missing the point of like the diy scene pieces of it right uh i don't care if your if your chiptune comes from a daw or it comes from a game boy or it comes from i i would kill to see this performer actually if it would be like someone uh uh basically doing chiptune uh beatboxing would be really interesting but it would be fu- it would be funny you know it would be a good bit um but uh, i don't care like i just don't care where your where your stuff comes from so long as you want to keep making it and keep sharing it with these audiences however small they may be right uh so i think that that was the piece of it i felt really bad because i got a message in like i want to say february of 2020 what a momentous time yeah, to get a message. i got a message from somebody in february of 2020 and there's like I just moved to the city where are all the good chiptune shows at and i was just like well buddy i don't know how to tell you this but that's that's was real rough um and so so uh yeah so there's so there was that um i think us uh, uh a, a big feature of pulse wave is the open mic section of pulse wave and there were times when we couldn't put on an open mic not because we didn't want to but because if we did our run time would go longer than the amount of time that we had at the venue um, and so, so yeah, so open mic serves as a platform for, uh, new and burgeoning artists to like put out, like to put out a feeler of like, Hey, do, do people like this? You know, like, is this, is this good? You know? And so if open mic stops being a thing, it kind of puts a damper on people having a comfortable space in which they can share their new music or their their like their very first song you know like uh when i said before on a book collective that i've listened to my fair share of my first lsdjs that was just before i used to go to pulse wave right like but even when i went to pulse wave like i listened to a lot of uh my first lsdjs and uh, some of them were honestly should have maybe worked on it a little bit more but some but but some other ones uh are were like absolutely impressive and you just go it's like hey how long have you been writing stuff for the game boy and it's like uh literally i started a month ago you know and people were just like wow you're natural you know and other people were just like would be like oh i've been doing stuff on and off for years and you're just like cool like that's i mean that's really neat but like like lacking that space to share creatively I think really, really did contribute in some way to sort of the the decline era that we've had of chip tune. You know, like people are still making it. People are still out there. I think the M um, the M8 is like the uh, a big reason that people have felt reinvigorated to like pick stuff up. And God bless Trash Eighty for making that stuff. You know, like Tim is his name. Tim, right? Like, yeah. Uh, but like God bless Tim for making that right because I think that that continues to be one of those things where you're just like okay cool like how do people make a reliable piece of hardware and that's you got to do the emphasis on reliable piece of hardware because uh because it truly is like it, it truly is one of those things of 
how do you make music uh, on a very small form factor so that you can just do it everywhere, right? Like, um, the number of people who I heard write chiptune songs on planes is pretty high as well, you know? So, like, uh, planes, trains, automobiles—if you have—if you can go—if you can make music on the go, people are going to find out how to make yeah. music on the go. So. Um, I'm I'm kind of curious about um what what engagement I guess you had uh, and Pulse Wave as as a whole had with like online communities, like online chiptune scene things that were happening. Because, you know, when you were talking about the, the open mic stuff, right, and, and you know, the ability for people to just kind of share things out to to people and, like, get a, get a little bit of a taste of, like, oh, how do people think about this? Um, that was always, like, one of the biggest things about the, like, the online communities as well, like 8-Bit Collective and, and even chipmusic.org, and then the kind of, like, later communities, like chiptunes equals win and, and things like that. Um, did you like feel like you were kind of engaged with, you know, the, those communities as well and kind of like trying to tap into that as a, as a part of the Pulse Wave project or like, was it a little bit separate? Far past Twitter, I don't think we really did engage. So like the reason I even know as much as I did and complained as much as I have about Facebook's event infrastructure is that a good chunk of our audience would only come through the Facebook event like community that we had right that that's wild to think about in 2023 where Facebook events are all but basically like pyramid schemes mostly right like but but so so that was the piece of it so I would do that but at the same time like Twitter was about all that like it was the nice low lift of being able to like engage with someone in your audience but also do we opened a Discord and our Discord is not popping I think and that's because <laughs> I, we really I, I posted so the I posted the first episode of this podcast in yeah, there and it was the first thing since like January of 2023 in that in that particular and, channel and I, and I think I think our Discord more more uh, more likely serves as like an alumni channel for our stuff and less of a less of an actual organizing space kind of um, uh, so so yeah I don't know if uh, I don't know if we ever really engaged with our um, like online community as much as I did I I personally um, would always encourage artists to put something up online because it's inevitable that if someone hears an artist at a show, they're going to want to look up their music. And when that search result comes up empty, it's real rough to be a fan of somebody who practically doesn't exist, you know, like, and so that's kind of, that's kind of the other piece of like online. That's really strange is that you would have to straddle. Okay. Yeah. You great, great open mic. Awesome. Awesome. Open mic. Um, where can people find you? And people would say, I've never posted anything on any service ever. And you're just like, great find them at pulse wave next yeah. time you know like it's just yeah. like it's hard to do promotion for somebody who i can't promote you know and so i think that that's the part of it that was really tough and so whenever we could we would put out um people's either websites or their band camps or their sound clouds or anything like that um but uh the number of times that I've, i feel like i've had to drag people kicking and screaming to make an online presence for me to be able to promote them it's too yeah. high, man. Like, it's too high. Yeah, so. I mean, but it, it's interesting to think of, like, uh, it's interesting to hear, like, your conception of, like, 
I, I guess this is what I'm getting at is like, is did you see Pulse Wave as primarily like a part of like the physical like New York scene? Yeah, right? and and it seems like the yeah, the it, it it is an experience that happened so physically that when everyone had to go remote or stay at home or something like that, then they just nail in the coffin, you know, like, uh, it's just, it just wasn't possible. Like the, the number of connections that you would have from just seeing people in person was just so big. Like the people, um, uh, people will remember all sorts of things from pulse wave shows. And you'll see there was, I actually ran into somebody at the bar like uh there's a bar called wonderville wonderville down the street for me and i ran somebody into somebody at the bar and they're just like you're the pulse wave guy right <laughs> and i'm just like how the hell like <laughs> yeah um and and then they yeah and then they were just like yeah no i used to go to those shows uh all the time and it's like oh yeah when did you come it's like 2015 2014 and i'm just like oh cool like that's really neat actually that 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 was like really impactful that you remembered me from then you know so so yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, we we probably covered this a little bit, like probably a lot actually. But you know, let, let, I guess we can get to it. Like, what, what do you think happened to Chiptune? Uh, and you can you can talk about it in in like kind of any perspective that that you want, right? It doesn't have to be like yeah. the whole thing. <laughs> Damn. Um, I think that uh, it is it is hard for. Um, something that is a hobby to have uh, persistence without a lot of new people coming into it. And I think that if you reach a moment where either um, communities are shitty or people don't have a space to express themselves, then I think that you kind of reach this sort of like plateau moment of like is it worth it for me to continue to invest the energy into this thing that i'm doing or should i just move on to do something else right and i don't i'm not saying this happened universally but i'm saying that like that's i think part of what happened and part of what i've seen sort of um like just echo in different pieces of it where it's just like oh like there's not a good place for people to post them. People don't use forums anymore. Twitter is dead. You know, like all of these things where it's just like, how do you, how do you do this? And how do you earnestly continue to put something up that, um, not necessarily you believe in, but something that you've put some amount of effort into and sort of receive the same amount of like stuff back. I think that that's, that's what's so challenging. And that's, that's what was so nice about the time that we did put Pulse Wave on for was that it was this direct feedback loop of like people cheered at me when I played my song, you know, like, um, and so, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was an unfortunate consequence, but, um, yeah, I, I think like one of the, because it's like, if you're talking about the physical scenes, right, the answer is easy. A global pandemic happened and shut everything right, down yeah. in 2020, right? Yeah. But I also think that, like, what happened... Because, like, look, people are always making chiptune, right? I'm, I'm not going to say, like, chiptune's dead. No one's ever making it ever again, right? Of course, no, right? Yeah, I, I think that's a claim too large Yeah, to yeah, which is why yeah, I didn't yeah. say... <laughs> which is why I didn't name the podcast uh, chiptune is dead. But, uh... <laughs> 
What a I know that would have been even that would have been that would have been man I would have come with some heat there um but but yeah I mean so like the physical scene kind of like took a really big hit in in 2020 but I think like one of the the things that we kind of forget about is like at the same time like basically in the same year like a lot of the online community is kind of like took a big blow as well right like through various like drama things or like allegations of of you know harassment and abuse and stuff like that like some of the bigger communities just like shut down at the same time that a global pandemic was cutting off any ability to to like have a live scene right to have a physical scene so the the first the first big blow was eight book collective so if you think about it it's been slowly kind of dying a little bit for over 10 years at this point right um, but, uh, then it was, what's his name from April Collective, just like basically being a fraudster, yeah. <laughs> right? Like Ho- Jose, I right? Think so, I think yeah. Was, yeah. Anyway. So then that was like real rough on a lot of people. And like, yeah, I, I don't fault you for being disenchanted by it. Um, I think, um, I want to say it was minus baby and a bunch of other people put up tripmusic.org. And I think that, that was like very good. I think Bandcamp taking off was also very good and it allowed for that like very good self-publishing where you didn't have to go to 8-bit peoples to distribute your zip file. You could just distribute your zip file on your own, um, right? So I think that uh, the the sort of rise and fall of net labels, I, I don't know if net labels are completely dead, but like the rise of net labels like helped a lot. But at the same time, like having the discussion platform of Twitter and having an open Twitter thing kind of just happened back and forth was very good for people because people would post like i'm thinking about this i have videos saved on my computer that are people's like little musings of the track that they were going to make you know like there's a track that i want chipsel to release so much that i think is just called like 2 a.m and it's and i just want it so bad and i don't that uh neve if you see yeah, this no, I, we'll, just, we'll, we'll you call it like, <laughs> we'll yeah, yeah. right now but yeah. <laughs> but but one of those things that I'm just like, I, I, there's so many things of that sort of golden era of Twitter that was so good for the back and forth discussion of things. And then, unfortunately, the Trump era happens. And, and this, is the, this is the weird thing where people are just like, don't make chiptune political. It's like, I'm not. I'm, I'm telling you that the, the tone of online changed so much that communities withdrew and there was less opening of those communities because you didn't know who you could trust and who you couldn't trust, right? Like, and so I think that that's kind of the the piece of it. Like, I, I'm not here to say that chiptune is whatever politics. I'm just here to say that it's undeniable post-Trump era that like the, the discourse of how things happened online changed so much that that just didn't help it you, you know like uh when when we when we were looking to place and discover more artists it was so hard to do because people were afraid of being attacked yeah. online for for putting yeah. on yeah and and you right? know so, a lot of what was so helpful and so so good about having those like the forum communities and things like that was a lot of people were discovering like at least their musical identities right there there was like right. it's, it was a place for for self-discovery and like play right to, to play with identity like in in that way right play with how you conceive your, of yourself and how other people conceive of you in a way that like didn't mean that like if you 
if you um you know if you said something weird and you know this is i feel like this is veering into a cancel culture thing and i don't want to like make it do that because whatever but like you know it's it's the those spaces just got less less playful right they they got less like open to those those kinds of like self-discovery things but but to challenge that a little bit like i do think it has a little bit to do with that in the sense that like there is um Notably, I want to say it was the Chiptunes equals wins, but uh, don't quote me on that one. Notably, where they got embroiled in like a whole lot of controversy and drama about the stuff that they were doing, and then it was just like, oh, cool, like why do why do I want to do that? You know, like, and I think, and I think some stuff there was just like, okay, cool, like that's that's real rough. Like, how does how do how how does this community exist without? this person you know like and i think and i think we try to make resilient communities but there are people who are holding up communities almost single-handedly right and so when something like that falls apart you're just like oh okay um yeah what do we I made what do we discord. do now yeah <laughs> yeah it's like i'm i made a discord it's like i made a discord too it's like well join my discord it's bigger it's like no it's just like and this is like it doesn't matter like it doesn't matter and like we don't um have uh we don't have a great notion of what the online artist collective can look like we just kind of have a lot of really bad examples in my opinion right like we, we have people who are just like Oh, I'm part of an like. First of all, it sounds really silly to say it in the first place. It's like I'm part of an online artist collective. It's like a bunch of nerds on a Discord. Great, you know, like. But at the same time, like that's kind of what used to happen. But then, with the thing about collectives, is that um, you need a small amount of governance to make them happen. And I don't think that people are self-organized in that way to continue to make them happen. You know, like. Uh, a forum has moderators, you know, and I think that that's kind of the pieces of it. Like you keep the shitters out, like you keep the people who are not engaging earnestly in conversation or who are just there to troll for the sake of trolling. Like you keep them out because you're enforcing rules. And the less that we're willing to enforce rules like that, then you just kind of have this moment of like, yeah, okay, and, well, I'm and not, to, I'm not going to exist in that space. Yeah, and and to kind of like bring it back and to toot your horn a little bit i i feel like there's a little bit of like you know when when it's like artists themselves that have to do this kind of like moderation that has to, that have to do the governance right they don't have yeah. time right and so they don't want, they don't they want, don't want, want to, to one and yeah and they don't have yeah. time so maybe it becomes one of those things where it's like maybe we needed more people like you right to to kind of, to to be the people that like you know do this stuff so that these communities can keep running and and you know like these these like institutions can keep going so that people can keep discovering these things um you know keep keep like playing with 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 game boys basically um but yeah right um yeah, no, I, I think that's I think that's spot on. I think that there is a whole lot of people who want to be part of something, and there are far fewer people who want to help organize that thing into a tangible thing, right? And I think that that's, um, I. <laughs> I list Pulsewave on my resume, and the reason I list Pulsewave on, on my resume isn't because I think it's the greatest accomplishment that I've ever done, but I also think it's because it's it's a thing that shows how I can help organize a community into something 
Um, and I think that that's really, that to me is really important is that people know that like, I'm not engaged a hundred percent in the tech industry out of choice, but because I want to be able to also do other things. Like I've organized meetups and stuff for other things since, uh, and it's just, it's interesting to have this sort of like, uh, I have now unfortunately been like the community pillar for multiple communities <laughs> and that's really weird yeah, right like, yeah. and, and you know but and it's almost like one of those things where it's like can can do i have to like can, <laughs> can i want right. to take a break right that kind of thing right yeah and so yeah then that's the other aspect of it is like if if you are not a person who thrives doing that thing then it can wear you out and after for me it was after what's six years five, six years almost yeah something like that it just it just wore it just wore on me where i was just like i can't, I can't keep doing this y'all like i just I, I gotta stop so um uh, yeah i i i think that it's good to take a break uh, a, a value that i've learned from labor organizing which is something that i've been very heavily involved in lately is is that you need to be able to name what your needs are as a person with the group of people that you're helping organize something with, right? And I think that we did that very lightly in the in the pulse wave days, and I think that that's why it worked, even though we had four to six organizers at some point, at some point, right? But at the same time, like knowing for yourself is it's really hard to know yourself well enough to be able to understand those things. Right. And so, um, I'm much better at it now than I was before. And there's definitely moments that I look back in pulse wave where I go, I probably just should have sort of just sat that month out, you know, like I probably should just given myself a little bit of a break, you know? Um, and so, so yeah. Um, yeah, it, yeah. Humans, <laughs> no, I, you know, like, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I kind of, I, I had the same realization and, and, you know, it, it wasn't like quite as explicit as it is in, in, in labor organizing, but there were times where it was just like the, the choice I had was to play this show that I knew was going to go, it was going to be to two people and, and, you know, like it, it wasn't going to be, you know, super worth it or just like stay at home and hang out with my, my girlfriend at the time and, or, you know, my now wife and like my cats. And that brought me a lot more fulfillment than, than going to the show. And at some point it, you, you just kind of have to take stock of who you are as a person and like who, what, what needs you have. And a lot of the times those needs are like, aren't going to be fulfilled by like the creative thing, even if it is. And that's not like a fault of the creative, not, that's not like my fault. It's not your fault. Right. It's the fault of, you know, gestures around Just, capitalism. Right. It's that, that's the, right, yeah, so. that, but by, but by nature, it takes energy out of you to do something right. Like as, as much as I, loved putting on every show that we did i'd be lying if i said that there was a show that went off stress-free you know like there was there were shows where i had to run uptown from brooklyn which is we make it sound like a big deal it's not a big deal because it's public transit exists but we make it sound like a big like i'd have to run uptown to get a piece of equipment that we needed for a show bring it back down to Brooklyn and bring it back up town the next day because that person was a working musician and they needed that piece of equipment, right? Like there were times when I would have to figure out how to like make sure that somebody had a car 
so that I could drive amps to the venue that didn't have amps for something so that we could put on the show. And like, those are all little stressors that add up over time. But like, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's really, you, you always, anything done well, you put energy into, right? Like that's just, that's just the truth of it, right? If you organize a show well, you put energy into it. If you're putting a, if you're having a great relationship, you put energy mm-hmm. into and it. And you only right? have like, so much energy at, at one point, so. Exactly, yeah. right? Like, you you are not a limitless well of energy, mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I'm, uh, you know, the, as we're as we're kind of, like, uh, ending, you know, getting to the, the end point of this, I'm, I'm kind of curious if, like, you see a future of chiptune or a future with chiptune, you know, it's, do you, do you, like, what do you think, uh, you know, where, where does it go um, from here? Um, I do, I don't, I don't know where it goes immediately. Um, I think that the things that are existing are going to continue to exist and that's people making amazing music and, um, and hopefully showing it off to people. Uh, I think that that's something that you can't stop. That is a that is a thing that we've let out of the, the bottle and it's absolutely just out there now. Um, I don't know what a strong chiptune community looks like in 2023 because frankly, I'm having a hard time thinking about what a strong online community looks like in 2023. And I think that that's the part that's like, it's really tough. I applaud um, uh, Calm Down Kidder for everything that he's done uh, as like a result of just him taking shows online and doing like regular stuff. I think that that's a great thing to do. I think that the problem here is always that not everyone has an OBS setup. Not everyone has a streaming setup, you know? So if you want to take Chiptune into people's homes then you need to have the education for people to like also do that. And we're reaching a point of like streaming democratization that that's very possible, but it's not universal. And I think that that's the part of it where it's just like interesting. I think, and I want, I've wanted this to happen so much. And I've, I, I so much want the global south to discover chiptune as a as a thing that they can do because i think that the coolest thing and this goes back to me always encouraging different instrumentation and stuff like that but i think that the coolest thing that we could do is have a resurgence of chiptune not in english because i think that that would be so just for me personally it would be very vindicating as someone from the south right like from the global south but as as another uh part of it i just think it would be so cool to hear chiptune in like any of the languages spoken in india a chiptune from like south africa mm-hmm. would fucking rule yeah. you like, know well, like what, what, like, what does decom look, look like in in chiptune right Absolutely. like yeah <laughs> right like what is what is all the like 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 um what is like what does Afrobeat chiptune sound like? You know, like and that that would that would be so cool generally. So like I think that there is a there is a future moment in which um and, and this is me holding hope in my heart for this thing because I, I don't know how it happens, but I think that there's a future moment where a lot of musicians reject the sort of high production values of things. And embrace this, uh, re-embrace this like DIY aesthetic to the point where just like they're spreading like fire, you know, like. And I think that, um, 
2023, I can tell you that my weird vision of chiptune includes TikTok <laughs> because I think that because I think you can make like an earworm for a for an audience and it will spread really well because of TikTok, right? Like uh and for for now like the only person that I know actually doing it up on chiptune uh TikTok is uh Calavera yeah. uh, from from Australia. Uh, forget yeah. <laughs> Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so and just like so like really truly the only person really doing it on on TikTok, but I think that TikTok is a medium that has the opportunity to give you that sort of viral spread and also give you that that space to experiment right like um as, as much as uh vine was a, a little bit clowned on but very revered vine gave people a space to experiment with very small snippets of comedy right very small snippets of expression i think tiktok has the ability to do that for chiptune because what goes viral on TikTok isn't always the video, it's, it's the, the sound. sound. Yeah. It's it's right? like where we and have so, the first like audio memes, right? That's kind of where right. it happens, it, right? But I would say the first audio memes were Oh well, yeah, I mean TikTok, like the, the first I, like or the, the, the most prevalent ones, yeah. Like that. Right, yeah, exactly. Right. And so I think that that's the part of it where it's just like I that's where I kind of see where this could resurge as like a thing. I don't know if we're going to have centralized communities the way that we've had centralized communities before. Um, but I do know that uh, a lot of the things that I was telling people back then still hold true, which is record your music, upload it somewhere, share it with the world. It doesn't matter if you get two views or 2000 views, like you kind of have to keep going. Um, and, and that's kind of the, it's very, it can be very demoralizing to not have people engage with your work, right? Like, um, but at the same time, I think that we're going to have these moments of, I want to see this happen in real life. How do I see this happen in real life? You know, like, um, uh, as much as we joke about manifesting, like manifesting is something that does happen, not because people think about it so hard, but because people will go to the lengths of doing something and making it happen. And that's what real manifesting is. It's not you just thinking something so hard that it's going to happen. It's like you thinking and putting the effort and doing the legwork and putting it it's out It's like there. an embodied that's, thinking, right? It's not, you're not, yeah, you're not just exactly. thinking in your mind. You're like thinking with every fiber of your being, yeah. you know? Yeah. Right, exactly. And then it goes back to all that energy stuff that we were talking about, where you put enough energy into something, it's going to happen. It's going to be very positive and it's going to continue to happen, right? Like, um, but then that you can only, only put so much of it in before you need other people to help contribute their energy. Uh, much like uh, Goku. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we, we will literally end it there. Um, I, I <laughs> no, it, it's been it's been fantastic to talk to you. Um, this has been such a, yeah. a great conversation. And, you know, I, I really like value the the experience and, and, and you, you know, your, your skill that you bring into, um, you know, seeing organization and, and organizing Pulse Wave. And so, um, you know, it's it's been awesome to, to talk with you about that. And, you know, thanks for yeah, for being on know, the pod. Yeah. Anytime.
This conversation was so insightful and so much fun to have, and I hope you can see why I was so excited to have Danelle on the podcast. What Happened to Chiptune is made by me, Spacetown, and if you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by giving me a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or by simply sharing it with those who would find it interesting. Thanks for listening.